0: The Can He Do That podcast is sponsored by T. Rowe Price. Are you looking to learn a thing or two about getting your finances in order, saving and investing? Then check out The Confident Wallet, a personal finance podcast series by T. Rowe Price and The Washington Post Brand Studio. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. There's a lot of talk in the news this week about a guy who works in the White House.
1: He was very successful when he was in the private sector.
0: He's one of President Trump's senior advisors and a de facto diplomat.
1: He's working on peace in the Middle East and some other small and very easy deals.
0: And he also happens to be married to the president's daughter. He works for nothing, just so you know nobody ever reports that, but he gets zero. This guy has had a pretty tough week.
1: Jared Kushner has been stripped, as we reported, of his top security clearance. —
0: Jared Kushner would definitely be the most high-profile person to have an interim clearance. — It's an abrupt change in Kushner's status that means he can no longer see the highly classified presidential daily briefing. —
1: Well, Jared's done an outstanding job. I think he's been treated very unfairly. He's a
0: high-quality person. I'm Martine Powers, and this is Can He Do That?, a podcast about the powers and limitations of the American presidency. This week, we're talking about Jared Kushner, son-in-law to the president. The Post reported that, for over a year, Kushner and several other White House staffers have only had interim security clearances. That got concern from Congress and from the president's own chief of staff, John Kelly. And Kelly announced that he would be downgrading the access of those people with interim clearances. And this week, we found out that Kushner's security access was kicked down from top secret to regular secret, which is actually a pretty significant downgrade. Then, The Post reported that foreign governments from four different countries have been secretly strategizing on how they might be able to influence or manipulate Jared. And then, The New York Times reported that Kushner's family real estate company obtained two large loans totaling more than $500 million from companies whose executives met with Kushner at the White House last year. And we want to ask a question that's been looming since the start of the Trump administration, since Jared Kushner and his wife Ivanka Trump both signed on to senior government roles. What happens when a president's own children wield influence in the White House? And how does a president weigh the pros and cons of mixing business with family?
2: Jared and Ivanka Trump have spoken on behalf of the president at major international sessions, private and public. Jared has spoken to presidents on behalf of his father-in-law. Um, they absolutely have the president's trust.
0: We wanted to talk to Carol Lennig, an investigative reporter at The Post, because she's been reporting on some of the biggest news of the week. But before we get there, I wanted to ask a question that's a little more basic. Who is Jared Kushner and what does he do?
2: Jared Kushner came to the Trump White House with an unusual role. In fact, some would say an unprecedented role. He was the senior advisor to the president who happened to be his father-in-law. His wife was also a senior advisor to the president. She was the daughter of Donald Trump, the president. And um, he is a person who, for many years, ran his family's sprawling real estate business and series of companies and investments. He moved to divest himself of those things, but. Still has a keen interest because they, uh, this company is his family's fortune, his family's wealth. Jared has had a very hefty portfolio involving meeting with lots and lots of foreign officials and diplomats on behalf of the U.S. government, and uh, that appears to have been very time-consuming, and he's flown all over the world trying to broker Middle East peace and also worked very closely with Mexican officials on the relationship between the U.S. and and Mexico.
0: What is your sense of what other folks in the administration think about this setup where members of the president's family are serving on his staff?
2: I think there's a a mixed uh, reaction. There are some people who have told me that they consider the contribution that the two um, family members make to be considerable and valuable and that the, the president really leans on them and that is an important part of the White House. There are others who are very uncomfortable with the family relationship and the dynamic that has created.
0: I think that we hear a lot about the relationship between the chief of staff and Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump. What does this situation say about that relationship?
2: I think that this lays bare how unusual the situation is to have your daughter and your son-in-law inside your White House as very senior aides to you. Because imagine being the chief of staff, John Kelly, and you have to tell your boss that there's a problem with your daughter or with your son-in-law. It's extremely awkward. It creates a lot of delicate conversations. And in the White House, you should be able to be the chief of staff and be incredibly blunt and make quick decisions, helping the president on behalf of the country. And if you're dancing around a problem with the security clearance because the person is related by, by blood and marriage to the president, that's going to create a problem.
0: And I think as a country, we have this sense that there is something questionable about a president bringing in members of his family to serve as senior staffers. Like nepotism at the highest level, right? But there's actually a long history of presidential family members playing significant roles in their campaigns and in their administrations.
1: You know what? It it is so common. It's it's seamless.
0: That's Doug Weed. He's a historian specializing in presidential families, which is an issue that he knows firsthand because he served as special assistant to George H.W. Bush. And what you're hearing is his interview with Ed O'Keefe, one of our congressional reporters from late 2016.
1: I'm trying to think of when when it hasn't happened, uh, but it's very common. I mean, let's take a look at For example, as far-fetched as it was, Jimmy Carter, if you'll remember in the debate, he said... I had a discussion with my daughter Amy the other day before I came here to ask her what the most important issue was. She said she thought nuclear weaponry. Everybody kind of gasped, like, really, you were talking to Amy? But there you go.
0: And that's far from the end of it. Once he was in office, Carter hired his son to work in the White House. And if you go back further, there was Bobby Kennedy who served as attorney general under his brother. Which, by the way, was not a universally popular decision.
1: Uh, There were some that were very glad they liked the Kennedys. They were glad they were in office. Uh, But there were many who reacted against it.
0: President Ford did it.
1: Jack Ford had an office in the OEOB.
0: And you might say that Ivanka is a present-day Anna Roosevelt. As FDR's oldest kid, she was brought into the White House when her dad's health started falling apart.
1: And she ended up running the White House his last year in office. Very powerful figure, very knowledgeable person.
0: She might have been more powerful than her mom.
1: There's a scene in one of my books where Eleanor Roosevelt comes to Anna, the daughter, and she's begging to be put on the manifest for the trip to Yalta. And Anna says no.
0: And this goes back to Rutherford B. Hayes. His son was chief of staff and also head bodyguard. Which kind of makes sense if you're taking over in the years after the Lincoln assassination.
1: Webb Hayes carried a loaded revolver, traveled with his father everywhere he went.
0: And then we have the most founding of founding fathers, George Washington, the original dad boss in chief. His stepson, Jackie, was at his side for the Battle of Yorktown.
1: Uh, Jackie was there in his tent with him on his senior staff and actually caught a communal disease. And, uh, and died uh, a few weeks afterwards. So there you go. Right from the beginning, children are involved.
0: So Doug Weed has this argument. Sure, you could call it nepotism. But it's also good strategy. Like, as president, it's smart to bring in a few people who aren't afraid to argue with you. People who aren't worried that if they offend you, they'd get fired. You can really trust them.
1: There's just something about uh, a son or a daughter. Uh, they're, they have context. They've been with you for a long time. Uh, they're, they're not playing you. Well, they are, but they're playing you as a parent, not as a powerful figure that can advance their career. And so they can be invaluable.
0: And as any parent knows, kids are really good at one thing. Telling you when they think you're wrong.
1: And uh, they're sometimes irreverent and unimpressed with you. And they will speak the truth. And most people around you are quickly corrupted by the power that comes to you as a president. And so the opinions of children are cherished.
0: Doug saw this firsthand when he worked on George H.W. Bush's first presidential campaign. And he worked underneath the candidate's eldest son.
1: When George W. came in and I was, I was moved and assigned personally under George W., I realized that a son could never be fired. So it didn't matter what mistakes he made or what he did, right or wrong, he was permanent. And that uh, gave his father uh, some advantages.
0: In Doug's view, George W. was the ultimate loyalty enforcer, the guy in the trenches who could spot brewing problems from within the staff and make sure that those problems got fixed. And he could encourage his dad to make unpopular choices.
1: For example, one of the things that happens in government and in politics is people won't make decisions. If they make a decision and it's a good one, the president gets the credit for it. They don't get any credit. If it's a bad one, they get fired or worse. So they just don't make decisions. And so these very important decisions pile up and wait, and a president's son or daughter can make those hard decisions. The son or the daughter can't be fired, so they'll just plow right ahead and say, we're going this way, and things get done. I think that's of enormous value uh, to a president.
0: In more recent years, presidents and their family members have had to grapple with how to navigate the optics of this kind of setup. Because of the controversy around JFK appointing his brother Bobby Kennedy as attorney general, Congress passed a sweeping anti-nepotism law in 1967. It says that no public official can appoint a relative to, quote, the agency in which he is serving or over which he exercises jurisdiction. So there's some debate over whether or not the White House counts as an agency. And currently, the understanding is that it doesn't really count. So that means that while a president can't appoint a relative to another federal office, he can appoint them to positions inside the White House. But he definitely can't use federal money to pay them. And after the Kennedys, presidents have complied with this rule.
1: They, they, the president's found an easy way around that. They just simply put their son or daughter on the party payroll. So Chip Carter could go on the DNC payroll and virtually work for his dad in the White House, and Jack Ford could do the same on the RNC payroll. But what you have with Donald Trump is it doesn't matter. <laughs> they don't need the money. So it's uh, they don't need the, the money from the RNC or anywhere else. They can, they can work... Uh, Gratis.
0: I brought this up with Carol, and she said that there is something that people are glossing over when they try to draw this comparison between the Trumps and the Kennedys.
2: I will tell you that there's an important fact missing there, and that is that Bobby Kennedy, as attorney general, was Senate confirmed. Um, and it, that's an extra check, if you will, on a president's decision that he wants to have someone close to him, working for him and with him. And Jared Kushner's, not to compare Bobby Kennedy and Jared Kushner favorably or unfavorably, but Jared Kushner has this job without any check on who's going to keep him in or out, except the president's decision to let it be Kelly's recently. Um, And there's also the matter that... um, Bobby Kennedy had an extensive background in public service, and Jared Kushner has not.
0: And then there's also the fact that most of these sons and daughters of presidents didn't quite have the kind of intricate connections that Jared Kushner has. Specifically, he's one of the few who is a fabulously wealthy investor and real estate developer with significant financial holdings and business interests around the world, And tradition or not, there is a simple fact that 13 months after President Trump's inauguration, Jared Kushner still does not have the official OK from the federal government to hear state secrets. And that's what reporters of The Post like Carol have been slowly uncovering over the past month.
2: This really exploded in the first week of February when um, the paper was writing about Rob Porter, a senior aide to the president as well, although far more junior than Jared Kushner, who was facing allegations uh, twofold. One, that his former wives accused him of domestic abuse and that he'd been working on an interim clearance. The Post then reported that not only was he working on an interim clearance, but dozens of White House staff were. The most senior of those was Jared Kushner. The significance of this was that there haven't really been any other administrations where senior White House advisors have been without a permanent clearance for so long. There, there is one rare exception that has been cited to us of an Obama appointee who had been without one for two years but it is very, very unusual. So
0: when I think about security clearances for government jobs, what my brain immediately goes to is, oh, they're looking for felonies or any kind of criminal convictions um, or they're you know, looking to see if you've ever smoked pot or something like that. Is that what we're talking about here? Like what does a security clearance or a background check for Jared Kushner look like and who's doing it?
2: So the FBI is in charge of doing the background investigations for the senior most staff who ha- would, would be able to see top secret information. And w- what they are looking at um, are a panoply of things. One, the potential for someone to be blackmailed. That is the number one issue. The second is financial entanglements that create a conflict of interest and go to Part one, (laughs) the possibility you'll be blackmailed. Um, Three, embarrassing information or things that could be held against you or held over your head. Also, four, are you under investigation currently? You don't have to be charged with a crime or accused of a crime publicly to be in a situation where um, the government is concerned about sharing classified information with you if you're under scrutiny for other reasons. So there's no... um, you know, guilty until proven innocent standard with security clearances. Each of those things could apply for Jared Kushner. He has extensive financial entanglements. He's under scrutiny in a probe by the special counsel. Um, Bob Mueller's team has been asking witnesses all sorts of questions about his communications with foreign officials. And um, now, recently, we've published a story that says that Foreign officials were privately discussing their ability to manipulate potentially Jared Kushner based on his financial neediness and his naivete.
0: That report opens up a whole other slew of questions about why it's such a big deal that Jared doesn't have permanent security clearance.
2: It's important to know, which we don't, um, precisely what these foreign officials believed and said. And what we do know is that they viewed him as susceptible manipulable susceptible to some sort of press by them so what are security clearance is about they're about are you a person of trust do you have the character to keep our secrets do, do you have a carelessness or or care with our special information and are you going to put the u.s government first and if You're going to put something else first. It's going to be a problem. And that's why, to me, it's so interesting to know what were the foreign officials saying privately? Were they saying, hey, we we think we have a good way to uh, some leverage, something to work with him? Or were they saying um, there are some specific things that we know we can get from him because we know X?
0: So that's what we don't know. What kind of contact has Jared had with foreign governments? And what were those governments hoping to achieve? But here's what we do know. Chief of Staff John Kelly was under a lot of scrutiny for his handling of domestic abuse allegations against former Staff Secretary Rob Porter. Porter had been operating on an interim security clearance. And when that came to light, Kelly announced plans to downgrade anyone working on an interim top-secret clearance. They'd go from top-secret to secret. Jared was one of those people. And that means he no longer has access to the country's secrets or intelligence briefings. And Jared isn't the only one who was downgraded in the process. He was one among several staffers who have been working on an interim security clearance. Mostly because they failed to properly fill out disclosure forms. Is that like forgetting to write their middle name in, in the form
2: or it can mean a variation of things but um, we're told that they did not disclose specific financial interests and sometimes contacts with particular people and that which has been a problem in Jared's own disclosure history uh, that makes it hard for an investigator uh, because they have to recreate those steps.
0: Do you have any details about the things that Jared specifically, didn't disclose in his form. I mean, you said it's contact with people, maybe
2: foreign people. The Post has written a a good bit about this that precedes our coverage recently of security clearances. Um, Jared, uh, in submitting his initial disclosure form about foreign contacts, failed to list any foreign contacts. His lawyer said it was a mistake and that uh, it was submitted in error. And he then presented another one with many, 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 many foreign contacts that he'd had in travel. And then he has since amended it several times to add additional contacts. And each time he amends it, investigators have to go back and look at each of those.
0: But here's the one thing that I found really surprising— Yes, the FBI does this extensive background check. And yes, the White House Security Office makes a final assessment on security clearances. But ultimately, the president can choose to give top secret clearance to anyone he wants.
2: The White House is a unique place. A president has a great deal of leash to make decisions that he believes are in the interest of the best governing and in in terms of creating his own team. But
0: there's something here that we have to remember. In this case, Trump didn't overrule his chief of staff. He let John Kelly decide to downgrade Kushner, and he didn't stop that from happening. And, and maybe that says something about Trump and about realizing that appearances do matter or that... While the powers of the presidency give some incredible latitudes and in freedoms, in some cases, there's still something to be said for refraining from exercising those powers.
2: The The presidency and the White House are a unique thing, and the president has made a decision. I'm not here to say what's right or what's wrong. Some problems have arisen as a result of this choice, and the president has to ultimately be held accountable for the choices he made here of installing his family, allowing them to um, have access to top-secret information without a permanent clearance.
0: Thanks for listening to Can He Do That? from The Washington Post. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, or check out previous episodes at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts. Can He Do That? is produced by Carol Alderman, with design help from Kat Brudell brooks and logo art from Lauren Boglio. Original music is by Ted Muldoon. I'm the host, Martine Powers, filling in for Allison Michaels while she's out on parental leave. Special thanks to Carol Lennig, Ed O'Keefe, and Doug Weed for help with this episode.
1: Hi, I'm Mike Rosenwald, a reporter here at The Washington Post. I'm hosting a new daily podcast called Retropod. It's a show about the past rediscovered. Every weekday morning, we'll explore some of history's most dramatic moments. I'll introduce you to colorful characters from our past, forgotten heroes, overlooked villains, dreamers, explorers, world changers. Check it out on your Amazon Echo, Google Home, or your favorite podcast player. For instructions on how to listen, Visit WashingtonPost.com slash Retropod. The Washington.
0: Washington, Washington, Washington
1: Post. Post. Hi, I'm Jimmy Kimmel, and I'm here with Jeff Edgers I'm going to do his podcast, Edge of Fame. It's a collaboration between WBUR and the Washington Post. I've always wanted to be involved in a collaboration between WBUR and the Washington Post ever since I was a baby. Edge of Fame, before, behind, and beyond the spotlight. Subscribe to Edge of Fame wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by ZipRecruiter, offering technology to help you find candidates that match your job qualifications.